My mother used to say a long time ago, whenever there would be any really catastrophe that was on the, in the movies or, or on the air, she would say, always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. That's why I think that if news programs could make a conscious effort of showing rescue teams, of, of showing who, medical people, anybody who is coming into a place where there's a tragedy, to be, to be sure that they include that. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. This podcast will be very different from what we usually do. At 3.05 p.m. on September 28th, Hurricane Ian slammed into southwest Florida as a strong Category 4 storm on the cusp of Cat 5. Storm surges, powerful winds, flooding rains, and rising rivers would begin immediately, and Florida would never be the same. Before the storm, I wrote a social media post that said, in part, You haven't seen the best of Florida yet. Terrible stuff will happen to many people. Flooding. Tornadoes spinning off. Debris and trees like projectiles. Best case, we're looking at a week or two without power. But that's when it'll happen. Neighbors will be neighborly. Duck boats and airboats will descend on flooded places. Tractors will show up in subdivisions. We'll all grab our chainsaws and our precious gasoline and chop our way to the very essence of what it means to be a Floridian. Facebook won't matter. Twitter won't matter. Ducks and deer and wildlife corridors and conservation and all the many things we talk about so much. They'll be here when we get back. You haven't seen the best part of Florida yet, but you will. This is that story. Look for the helpers. Mr. Rogers' words take on a heaviness in times like this. What you're about to hear are four stories about four places told by eight people. I picked these eight because I knew them, but there are many, many more than eight out there. We'll begin with Dan Daniels, who responded as the eye was still over the state, to Kissimmee, 100 miles from where the storm first made landfall. Here's Dan. That's right. Yeah, Kissimmee proper, actually. We drove through St. Cloud, and uh, we were actually coming from the east, and uh, woke up in the morning and uh, we were pretty much in the eye wall, but it wasn't too bad. And I did like a just crack a light assessment and was uh, just kind of like, all right, did okay. It's going to be windy on the backside, but you know, typically that northeast quadrant's the worst. So I didn't think too much of the back end. <clears throat> and my brother texted me, he's like, hey, I got a call from my. Uh, contact my old contact from Hurricane Harvey that some Kissimmee fire needs some help with something. And we're like, all right, let's go. I mean, it took us literally like 20, 30 minutes to hook up the boats and we were on the road heading west. And uh, sure enough, we're driving west down uh, people familiar with the area. We uh, went out 520 and down uh, Nova Road. It's a famous road that bisects Deseret ranches. And uh, we got I mean, we got hit like halfway through the drive with the backside of the eyewall. Next thing, we're driving 60, 65, and we had to stop almost that, that down to a crawl like 30, 35. We hit the back end of the eyewall. It was mostly wind with just like light band rain. And uh, there was a fire um, 
station address that we had, but um, it got a little squirrely. We basically had to ride through a section of street um, adjacent to the hospital near the fire station that was probably knee deep for, I mean, at least a quarter mile, maybe not a half mile, to the point where like my running boards were um, wet for such a long time. I'm like, I don't know if this truck is going to make it on the hard road. And then uh, we got about halfway and you can kind of see it start to rise up where you can see like the water's still pretty clear, even though it was, you know, cause it's rainwater, but it hasn't sat long where you can see the double yellow lines and we're just straddling them going through with the two boats. Once we popped through fire station was dry and it was almost like, uh, I'm like, well, you, you guys are good. Like what, what's going on? And uh, the chief there, the contact said it was, it was about six blocks away where we had to go. So um it, it was kind of bizarre but uh there were already some staging and we went out as a group and the firemen really wanted his guys with us with the civilian boats i think because it was just a little more uh it was just funny he, he kind of looked at us and he's like I, I need two guys with you right now Are you guys ready and we threw on uh some waders and jackets and it was still getting bands and rain and uh i mean immediately started dumping boats and getting people after we drove away from the fire station. I took a beat here to ask Dan about a particular rescue they had performed of a young mother. I mean, she really couldn't speak great English, but I, I can understand Spanish pretty good. And I heard her talking and uh, come to find out um, six days ago, she had cesarean section to have a little baby. She couldn't get in the boat. I had to lift her in the boat to get her out. They had just got thrashed all night. Um, you know, my brother, I got a picture of my brother holding this little baby and uh, <clears throat> then when they were pulling away in the boat, I got a little video I put on social and you can see the whole family with my brother and I just stayed on scene. And I'm basically the fireman told me clear that top floor. So I'm wrapping on windows and banging on doors to try to get them out because even though the water had ended up being pretty stable, there was uh, some chatter on scene too about what, well, what happens when these little, you know, uh, retention berms and stuff start breaking or failing like they really didn't know if they were going to get another foot of water there or not at that time because it was still raining as we were doing this you know so it, it was spooky they're packing stuffed animals and their blankets like you know their kitty blankets into you know plastic public bags just to go it's like a blitz once we got on scene it was like get what you can and we go and um that uh, like honestly out of the whole week um I started my week in Colorado, uh, finishing up an elk hunt, flew home, worked, storm. It, it was bizarre. But that was one point where I was just like, uh, like grateful, sad, and uh, like almost kind of like, um, I think surreal is a little played out, but like it almost felt fake, you know, like it was like, like a fake pawn in this little weird puzzle. Cause I was, you like get like a, a guilt rush of all the stuff you're doing and how you're good you know as Kissimmee subsided Dan returned home but like many of the characters in this story he'll be back across the state folks around our podcast community began receiving urgent messages about rising waters in a small community of Northport we're going to piece together a number of folk stories here not stopping to distinguish names and allowing some dangling participles and run-on sentences but you're going to hear from Garrett Cave Ryan Briggs Jonathan Kaler Tiffany and C.W. Sanders as they discuss the rising waters of the Mayaka River. Uh, so I don't even remember. Days are all mixed now. If it was 
Thursday afternoon or Friday morning when Patrick said there was a need for people to uh, get down to Northport because of the flooding that was going on from the river. It all started on Friday. Um, you know, this actually was all, all CW's idea. He uh, just kind of gave me the call and, um, you know, I think everybody has friends and family that live somewhere down there and you know, we just wanted to go and see if we could check and help. So we, we actually pulled up right at the end of their rescue effort. It was getting dark at that point. They said that they were pulling everybody out um, for the night. So we actually went and refueled and headed back down in the morning and met up with everybody back down at Fire Station 81. When we got there, it was, uh, it was pretty cool to see all the private boats there. I mean, a ton of people from Citrus and Hernando County, Sebring, Polk. We were told to get down into the end of Sumter Boulevard, where it meets under I-75, and that really turned into a boat ramp. And um, you put the boat in there, and the fireman that was on your boat, at least how it was on my boat, um, he had a list of house numbers that we that were backlogged calls um, when they had lost power. So we were, we were riding around. We were assigned a uh, firefighter by the name of Zach. Um, which shout out to Northport, Northport fire. They were fantastic. These guys were under a lot of pressure after, uh, working for four days straight. And, uh, these guys were friendly and they, they were there. They, they just wanted to help everyone, you know, and they, they were, they were fantastic down there. You know, one of the things I never expected to do with a mud boat was to be driving it up to people's doors and knocking on them to see if people wanted to be evacuated. We got this like certain quadrant to work and we just started going through the grid of houses up and down uh, streets, finding the house numbers and they would check on them. The, the first house we went to, the people were already packed and ready to go. They were waiting for someone to, to roll up. And we all took a picture of the map with our phones because the cell service was just terrible. So we started going to our addresses. Fortunately, we did not have to evacuate anybody. Um, the addresses they had sent us to, either the people had already been evacuated the day before uh, or they did not want to leave. So for, for the most part, we were dropping off food, water and supplies back in there. The second or third house we went to was a young couple with a seven week old baby and they did not want to leave. And uh, so that that was a little troublesome the rest of the day. Um, it was I was really fortunate. We, we came across a, a little old lady that. Um had actually had a pick line place at the beginning of the week and her medication was never um, delivered because of the storm. And obviously no nurses or anyone could get out there. So I was able to kind of assess her pick line and, and check her out and make sure we, they were following instructions as far as keeping it, it clean and keeping it patent. And um, there was a lot of relief there. We went to one house. There was a gentleman that had given his four-year-old and his paralyzed 65-year-old father, um, uh, he had evacuated them before the storm, and he stayed with the house. And he didn't even know really what was going on. And we eventually take, uh, ended up taking him out, and then another family of three elderly um, ladies that just kind of had enough. Firefighter and I and Patrick looked at each other like, we need to go talk to them, or that couple with the baby again, and see if we can get them out of there. And we went and the firefighter Luke was basically like, hey, 
we don't know if this water is going to rise. They're saying it might. You don't want to be here when that happens. Let's get you out of here. And thankfully, they were uh, they basically were convinced at that point and gathered their stuff and uh, came with us. And then they uh, it was uh, humbling to say the least. the The sense of community of everybody uh, coming around these people who were stuck in their homes. And she looked at me and she goes, "I want a ice." ice cold beer <laughs> and i was like a quick hop down 72 to 70 would bring you to arcadia in the heart of florida once a rough and tumble cow town this community sits on the banks of the peace river as ian worked its way across the state feet of rain were dumped into the peace river basin and arcadia would soon find itself cut off from the mainland you'll hear from adam bass brad ferris and garrett cave again cutting across 70 right now there's only two ways into Arcadia at the moment, and they're both coming from the east. You have to come in off of 70. Man, Ar- <clears throat> Arcadia compared to Northport, it's uh, it's a different ball game. The Peace River is like the highest I've ever seen it. It's amazing. It's awful. Uh, hope I never see it that high again. But it is um, that, and then the challenges with the river systems over closer to the coast um, have flooded out access from the west to just west of uh, the Peace River. So essentially, there's a giant island of people um, with no way other than a boat to go just west of Arcadia. Uh, Sheriff Potter in DeSoto County had put out the call to... Uh, more or less get some help because there were people all along the Peace River that were stranded. Uh, Matter of fact, a much bigger area than that, it was everything between the Peace River and the Mayaka River because both of those, as everybody knows by now, have, I mean, we're probably talking 500-year event uh, at this point. Once we got there, we had to come in from the east side of State Road 70 in Lake Placid. That was the only way into Arcadia. Basically, our Okeechobee County Sheriff's Office began working and coordinating with DeSoto County Sheriff's Office. And we put together a small group of guys uh, because, and it was a mix of command staff, volunteers, uh, so forth and so on. And we kind of got a group text going, getting organized with people that had access to boats because pretty much boats were the only way that supplies were going to get in there. We dropped mud boats off of State Road 70 um, and spent the day hauling water and MREs with Taylor and Lafayette County Sheriff Department um, for about six hours. And um, as fast as we initially, for the first couple of hours, as fast as we could haul food and water that's how fast people were coming and grabbing it and taking it. I just drove the boat down there, and I was like, I, I don't even know where to go. And um, I just pulled the truck over, walked up to the state trooper, and I was like, hey, listen, man, like, I don't know where your EOC is, um, but I just drove here from Parrish. I got a boat with me. I got a guy with a 14-foot asphalt trailer full of supplies behind him. And uh, what can we do? 
I heard y'all are running supplies up down the river and uh, can we get in on it? And the state trooper was like, yes, please. Yeah, there's a bunch of people standing on State Road 70 that had no supplies for several days. Basically, the first time we went over there, we took our own supplies. I went and bought, I don't know, three, four hundred dollars worth of uh, water, ice, gas, diesel. I even picked up some beer because I saw some guys saying, hey, nine out of ten people of you all in wants a beer. And got in the boat and drove off. And I just kind of followed suit. I was like, all right, here we go. And um, went over to where the National Guard site was. Um, they had three checkpoints. Uh, Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie. Uh, Alpha is straight across on the opposite side of the Peace River on State Road 70. The Bravo location is uh, State Road 72, which is pretty much going the same direction as 70 because they both Y right there. They come together in a Y. So we're at the point now the water has receded enough that uh, it's only airboats getting over to 72. And then the Charlie location is about two miles. I'm going to say roughly two miles. I'm, I'm just kind of making an educated guess. Uh, north up the Peace River, that's a decent little run. It's probably about an hour round trip. By the time you get the supplies up there, drop them out and get back. Because those were uh, landlocked or actually waterlocked. It was all flooded, um, but the higher ground there and people couldn't get in or out because the bridges on either side of them have been washed away. We were driving the boat over top of cars. When we first started, there were people who had not eaten anything in four days. Just would go to these PODs, pick up supplies. And they would tell us what checkpoint to go to. So, yeah, I've, I've been around and seen a few things, not as much as what a lot of guys have seen, but I've seen my share. And this sort of thing is on a completely different level because it's so widespread. And more than anything, it humbles you and kind of reorients your focus because, I mean, I caught myself doing the, doing this and then uh, – one of the other guys there, a uh, lieutenant today, said the same thing that I had thought the day before, and that is you get annoyed with yourself for being annoyed at the fact you lost power for maybe 12 to 14 hours when you've got these people that have lost everything they had because what we're doing is looking at rooftops as we go by, rooftops of houses, rooftops of camper trailers in the little campground, and like running down railroad beds in a mud boat and it was feet deep below us. Um, so there were houses. There's an art Peace River RV park is completely flooded out. I mean, to get the supplies to the people, you basically ran through a valley of RVs. Campers turned over sideways with water rushing through them, around them, over them. Um, it's, uh, words don't do it justice. Finally, we head to Lee County, Pine Island, Matlache, Sanibel, Fort Myers. This was ground zero for Ian, and we'll follow Jonathan, Tiffany, CW, and Dan through their experience. So we headed down to Cape Coral, and I can tell you, um, the first really eerie thing is once you get past Bradenton, um, there's just no power. You might see a flicker of a generator here and there. 
But I was telling Stubby, it reminded me of when we were driving down to duck hunt. I mean, it's just black, dark wilderness. And yet, you know, that there are all these hundreds and hundreds of houses and apartment complexes and, and buildings out there, but you just can't see them because it's dark. And then you would see the headlights would kind of flicker off of water and you could see in the, sh- in the shadows down power lines everywhere. So, so the storm hit and we left the following morning. Uh, my, my fiance, uh, her, her parents live in North Fort Myers. So we spent the first couple of days down there, uh, pushing water out of the house. So we made our way to Cape Coral. So it was, um, CW and myself, and then um, our niece and her husband, Sheldon and Lindsay, and then um, our brother-in-law, Chris Murphy, and his wife, Betsy Murphy. So Betsy and Lindsay are both nurses as well. Man, it's so hard to pronounce it. It's uh, Matlache Island. Uh, it, it was not good. It could have been a lot worse. They live across the street from a canal, but Fort Myers is just real, real tore up. Um, we had to cut our way back into the neighborhood dragging logs out i'd never been in anything like that before never seen anything like that before um so we got there that morning and right right off the bat um the fire department told us to go straight to the boat ramp that they had folks that need to be evacuated from matt lache at uh, yucatan bar they had already started getting some response on scene and the big thing there was when we hit when we hit that one early morning um, the police department there and the fire guys had done an overnight shift where they were literally policing the island, like a little, almost like a little martial law type of thing. And that group of uniforms needed off. So the, the, uh, sheriff there or captain, whoever it was, I believe it was a captain for the d- department. He asked us specifically to take uniforms only back and forth for the first hour to just get some shift change and and respite and relief for his crew. And so we, and and then a guy named Zach that we picked up, this guy actually was from New York. Apparently he was traveling the country. He was in Savannah when the hurricanes were coming. He went to Pensacola to dodge the hurricanes. And he said that he was just sitting there in a bar watching the destruction and trying to figure out what he was doing with his life and decided he would come down and help. And he just happened to walk into the fire station at the same time as me. So sure enough, we were like the second boat in the water and we rolled around there and, and there were a lot of folks lined up at that Yucatan bar that were trying to get off the island. Um, so we started out our day doing that. And as we're going over there, you know, just kind of shell-shocked by the destruction um, of boats in people's houses, um, houses gone, businesses gone. Um, water lines way up on houses. You know, the water had receded a lot, water lines up on houses. And then once we were there, it was like, there's just too many sob stories to not just help out the community. You know, um, we ran a dang ferry boat service for eight straight hours. And so mud boat after mud boat just started dropping in. And we met several friends that had, you know, gotten the same direction. It ended up being taken people both ways, people wanting to get back to the island to see their home for the first time, to get try and get back and see how bad it was. And that was probably the worst part was seeing the, you know, just the people, the loss that they, you know, just from in their faces, just watching their faces. 
um, you know, of the unknown. And, you know, some of them just didn't, almost didn't want to go back because they were so scared because, you know, get talking to one man and he paid, he had paid cash for his house. And he didn't have insurance on it. And then um, we get him around there to his place in one of the canals and his place was essentially gone. And, you know, he breaks down. Um, Once the numbers on the, with those people that needed to get in and out dwindled some and we had some more support as far as boats, uh, we started pulling up to these different islands kind of at the end of the canal. And so our husbands would drop us at the end of the canal and we would just kind of work a grid pattern. And they started going door to door. Um, letting folks know on the street, you know, you know, checking on them. And um, it kind of started as that, you know, we ran into some uh, officers, some police officers on a side-by-side, -side, and they told us to start telling people to um, go to the, I think it's the raggedy-ass saloon. So about the time we got to St. James, um, the National Guard, they probably had already been there, but they really started moving in heavy and started bringing the Chinooks in. And so at that point, they were, um, we met up with one of the officers and told them what we were doing. And um, he said, okay, he said, we'll tell people what, what, what he told us was, he said, tell people if we're going to be bringing the Chinooks in here, just kind of all through the day. And that if they need to get out, that we'll take, we can take 37 people on each Chinook and their pets that they just need to get to. And he told us the um, haggard ass bar or something like that. And then, so I went and the first little old lady that we came to, I said, okay, well, the National Guard's bringing Chinooks in and, and um, they're, they're, all you got to do is get to the haggard ass bar. And she just looked at me with her sweet little face. She said, you mean the raggedy ass bar? So we started uh, asking people. Like, hey, can we use your car or would you mind using your car to take these people, um, to take certain people over to the Raggedy Ass Saloon? So we kind of helped coordinate a lot of that. Um, there was one gentleman in like a forerunner that was helping us escort people to the Raggedy Ass Saloon. And most people I'm talking about aren't, um, they couldn't get around real good. Um, you know, elderly, elderly folks. Um, and they just get what they could get, you know, in a bag, and, and, and he was taking them over to the Raggedy Ass When we rolled up on St. James Island, even when we were a couple of miles out, even the look of the trees and everything changed, and CW looked at me, and he said, it's it's bad there, and um, in all honesty, I just started bawling, because I just knew that, you know, as much as we had seen up to that point that was so bad, you could, I mean, the, even the, the, the landscape just looked different. Well, and they were very grateful. I mean, it's unbelievable how grateful everybody was. I mean, asking, you know, asking us if we, we needed anything, you know, I was unbelievable. Um, <laughs> I was in awe of, of how gentle they still were. It was almost almost like, you know, um, God put their hand on that, his hand on that land that y'all, you know, you guys, everybody calmed down for a little bit. Um, so this one couple we were talking to, they were so precious and, um, they actually, she asked me, she was talking to me and it was hot out there. 
And she said, can I get you some ice? And then as soon as she said it, she said, I am so sorry. I don't have ice. I don't have power. I don't know why I said that. And I just told her, I said, how sweet of you that that's your, that's what you reverted back to. It was to your norm. And you were going to offer me ice when you have holes in your house. I mean, it was just precious. While on the phone, I asked each of these people the same question. Why? Why leave your home, your safety, your family? Why close your businesses and drive four to six to eight hours across the state? Why did you go? Here's what they told me. And when it happened, I kind of thought to myself, I was like, I know that place down there is going to be flooded. And I know I have the boat to help. And it was kind of pulling on my heart after, like on Friday, I told Jody, I said, I don't know, man, I, just, I feel like I should try and help or go down or do something. Well, we, we were fortunate enough where we were living, we did not take any damage. Um, at, at that point, what, what else is there to do? I mean, he, if, if it were us, we would have people coming and helping us. So at, at that point, you, you have to, in your right mind, you know, that's the only thing you can do is make yourself an asset with whatever you've got. Well, I guess it's twofold. Um, number one, I would, I know that if roles were reversed, somebody would come do it for me. Because it's the right thing to do, uh, because we were blessed and fortunate not only to have the resources to be able to do it, but not, you know, I, I couldn't work. Uh, Friday, I went in for a half day, tried to do some work. And uh, I know like that pays the bills and feeds my feed my kids, but like I could, my head was not able to not re-engage. So we're we're all in the same boat. Every everybody needs to do their part and help because if it were you, the rest of the community would be behind your back helping you out as well. I can't imagine what these people are going through, sitting there watching water rise while they're stuck because they can't drive out or swim out or walk out, and. Again, it's just the right thing to do because we can. I would hope that if I was in that same situation, somebody would be doing it for me. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like I could go fishing today. You know what I mean? When people are hurting, there's a, a major effort underway. I don't know, man. Just want to try and help. It was pure, I guess would be the way to put it. it there was purity in it. Um, there was no one seeking self-gain. There wasn't people trying. I didn't, I didn't see anybody saying, you know, that they wanted to charge somebody money. I saw more people turn away money than anything. Um, it had nothing to do with any of that. It was just just people being, you know, kind and pure, wanting to help other human beings. And that's what touched me the most. You're never going to, you're never going to, the scars aren't going away for de years, decades. I wanted to go, but I'll tell you, you know, my husband, he was the one that called me and was like, do you think you can be ready in two hours? And of course, all I needed was a reason. And, and what he would say is that we, we have the stuff to help. Why wouldn't you? Why have this stuff? And, you know, post pictures of duck hunting and all these other cool things that you do and then not use those resources to help people, you know, your, your fellow man. And it's what affected me was just seeing people come together. I love to see people come together. Let's face it, we're all called to be servants. 
at the end of the day, we are all sitting here with something deep down in our soul and our heart that encourages us to help others. And I mean, for me, that's it. I mean, it was just precious how each of them kept asking us what we needed and offering things to us as they're standing 10 inches in muck with with no roof. I mean, it was just, I, I'll never be the same. None of us will ever be the same after this. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Thank you to all who have gone and continue to go to help. We are putting links to relief organizations in the show notes. We have a long road in front of our state, but now is when you'll get to see the best part of Florida. Be kind, be strong, be patient, and be Florida. <laughs>